they literally saved me and it kind of just kind of rewrote all my impressions that I had been predisposed to mm-hmm. and I just kind of got obsessed with it so so there's 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 no rules I mean it, the only rule is, is that there are no rules and then I woke up in a cold sweat and that's how I knew what my drag name was going to be hello everybody and welcome to social discord episode 13 part four of whose gender is it anyway gender expression through drag shows I'm your host for today's episode, Dalen Turk. I'm Kara Tebow. And I'm Curtis Medina. Today, we're going to be diving deeper into the ideas of gender expression, specifically through drag. Now that we understand gender and how people occupy different parts of the spectrum, the world understood and moved forward, right? Wrong. Queer rights are a slippery climb upward that tends to be pushing against great forces of opposition. One thing which has helped get the word out on gender questioning, turning into a fun and joyous experience, is the world of drag performance. Gender expression through drag performance isn't just for queer people, and it isn't just for cis men. Chances are what you've seen, such as RuPaul's Drag Race, is just the tip of the iceberg in all of what drag is, has been, and could be. With that being said, Curtis, who is a drag performer? Um, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to say. I think maybe the easiest way to say it is a drag performer can be anyone. Uh, you don't have to be queer. Uh, you don't have to be a man. You don't have to be a cis man. Um, you can, you can be trans. You don't have to be trans. Basically the idea of drag is, um, that if you are exploring your gender, whether in real life or you just want to have fun and screw around with with gender stereotypes and you have absolutely no other desire to question your actual personal gender, that's okay too. Um, It's a really, really wide open um, qualification to to start doing drag. Now, it definitely is a lot more synonymous um, with the queer community in the last few decades. Um, And so it is true that most drag performers are queer, but that has definitely not been the case all all throughout history, and it's not an absolute even today. Um, one of the things I really like about drag, I wanted to mention that even though like we're doing this as as the the last installment of the whose gender is, is in anyway, is that drag is a lot of times is the introduction um, that most people have to the world of of queer people mm-hmm. and queer rights, um, especially up to this point in history where most of the time you would not see um, a queer person say on TV or something, you know, so you might not see it on TV, not see it in movies, but then, you know, you, you hear about a drag show and you go out and, and see what it is. And you realize that, wow, like, like this isn't this like depressing, you know, the uh, thing that you're always hearing about, like, you know, in the news or something like that. Like, like this is actually um, a fun choice to make in your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's, it's I think, a fun and exciting means of expressing yourself. Yeah. And it's really become an art form. You know, it, it's, it, it wasn't, I don't think at the beginning it was necessarily um, thought of as an, as an art form or at least kind of a lower art. Um, but over time it actually really has become an art form. And as, as I get pointed to many times from people who do drag is that they don't do it for the money. Like, you know, RuPaul might make really good money at it. A few, you know, a few like really high end people do, but I'd say 98% of, of people who do drag, um, actually lose a ton of money doing drag. Like, like it is, they just pour money into it. Makeup isn't cheap. 
I was going to say hairspray isn't cheap. Wigs aren't cheap. The dresses aren't cheap, you know? (laughs) So, I mean, it's like, you know, so if, if they're collecting money or something at the show, like it's not, they're not getting rich off of this. They're doing it because they love it. It's very similar in that sense to cosplay where of course, cosplay is, you know, more video games, pop culture, anime, whatnot. It's still the same idea of expression. And although this is specifically more gender expression, it's the same idea of just expressing your inner self in some way. And sometimes it's just a passion that you dump money into, but it's worth it because it's your passion. Yeah, absolutely. Have either of you, I've never been, but have either of you been to a drag show? Yes. And you're out. (laughs) What, what was your experience, Kara? Um, we did the most recent thing we did was it was drag queen bingo. And it took us to that's a, amazing. I've actually done that. Yeah, we were on a moving bus as we were going to a story. So when I tell you, there's a lot of moving parts going on, a lot of loud voices. I, I it was the most phenomenal chaos I've ever been a part of. Drag bingo on wheels. Uh, to a vodka distillery. Need I say? <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. What How- was it? What was it like one of those like alcohol buses or whatever that like they can serve alcohol as you play as well? Or is, or was that just yeah. before and after? They just went for it and I was all about it. So okay. you know <laughs> I won't hear names. That sounds like that such an incredible awesome. time. Uh, um, yeah. the post COVID, I highly recommend Drag Queen Bingo, Austin, Texas. We're we're gonna have right. to hit and- that up. <laughs> so you you've never done you've never done a drag show? Or never been in a drag Sorry, never watched a drag show? I have never yeah. been to, nor have I performed within a drag show. Um, no, I just... <laughs> it's pretty I, hard to do, yeah. <laughs> performing, I haven't gone. Although, I don't know, maybe now with COVID, you could do it remotely. No, I just... I've never... Like, I know there is a drag community war group in Missoula. Um, unfortunately, it's... Um, at least from my understanding, it's still fairly underground. Um, and it's it's a pretty tight-knit community. I guess, you, you know, you know Missoula, you probably know it um, as well, but... Uh, you know, just it was nothing growing up in the community that I did around the people I did. It was nothing that was ever presented to me until I was in college. And even then I just, it wasn't a part of something I, you know, I wasn't part of it in really any form. Like I understood what it was and like, cool, awesome. Uh, but it's just nothing that really took part in my life. You definitely should try it and you should definitely tell um, who like whoever is sort of like, Hopefully, some you have somebody that's like kind of connected to the community there. Tell them that you're a you're a drag show virgin, <laughs> and uh, it'll be similar to Rocky Horror. Although they'll, they'll probably have some extra fun with you. I just imagine. Have you seen Perks of Being a Wallflower? Yes. It's gonna be the I'm gonna be the main character who when he gets thrown into performing at Rocky Horror Picture Show on the play, and he's just the whole time like bewildered, like what am I doing? <laughs> But then it turns out to be just a great time and everyone's loving it. I will say, like, even though drag is such a fantastic creative outlet and something something people are so passionate about, also, like, as an audience member, I've gone to four or five drag shows and I've always left feeling like a badass. I'm oh, like, yeah. the energy, the confidence, and like, hey, I feel great just watching y'all. So it's just such a fun environment to be part of and it's such an empowering environment to be a part of for everyone. It's so all-inclusive so much fun energy it is like the most fun time ever well i mean the my, my, the entire like environment is about empowerment right totally it is. yeah 
and about having fun. I mean, you know, so a lot, a lot of um, drag shows happen at bars. Um, and one of the things I want to ask our guests later, Storm, about is whether they, um, you know, whether they think that um, that that's the best way to get introduced to drags. That's how most people do. Um, but now there's a lot of other options outside of the bar scene um, that that you can that you can see your first drag show and you don't necessarily have to say drink, you know, I would say you're somebody that doesn't drink or something, or you don't like drinking in bars or whatever. There's another option to still see that, that live. Um, in my case, I, I, I had a really special experience actually. It was, um, um, at the time I was first visiting and working San Fr in San Francisco and, um, uh, there was, uh, there is still, um, a really cool, program um called midnight mass which is a, a midnight movie that they show and it's hosted by peaches christ um that's the that's the drag performer's name <laughs> peaches christ um and uh it's one of the more well-known uh drag performers in the country mm -hmm. uh, and and they did this really cool thing where, where uh, every uh week during i think just during the summer they would host a classic movie and then they would theme all the entire show around that movie so like That's i saw like the, awesome. the exorcist and they were all dressed up in like <laughs> exorcist like you know way over the top exorcist costumes and stuff and they would do like a, a mini show and stuff and so it was so cool to to be involved in you know to just to see that and it was cool because um i had worked with um peaches christ directed a movie that i worked on and invited mm. the entire crew to see um, their shows free for the, for that That's whole cool. summer. So I, I went as much as I could. What an incredible way to incorporate like regular, I mean, I say regular, but you know, what should I say? Like non queer related pop culture and incorporate it into the queer community, incorporate it within queer expression and be like, Hey, everything can be included in this. That's super cool. Yeah. And, you know, up, up till pretty recently, it was, it did kind of have an underground feel. And, and so anyone, even if you're not queer, but you, but you like that feeling of kind of the real city or the real culture, you know, that's mm -hmm. kind of like, like beneath the, the sort of like top veneer. Um, it's, it, it, you know, you can feel a part of it, just like what you're saying, you know, it, um, and you want to, you want to add to that, that uh, sense of community that, that you feel when you're at one of those, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, something we probably should make clear since we're talking about who a drag performer is, um, is that um, that trans people can be drag performers, but but it, it, but being trans is completely different than doing mm -hmm. drag. Um, you know, so so you know, drag is is a performance; it's a character. So you know, uh, throughout history, um, the major or, or or the majority of um, of drag performers are cisgender. Meaning that they don't question their gender, um, they don't, they don't, um, they they go with the gender that was assigned to them at birth. Um, but being trans, which if you haven't heard the last couple episodes that we've recorded, um, is something that you are from birth. That you know, you go home and you are that person. But a drag performer is something that you put on, and it's usually a character that's a bit larger than life. It doesn't have to be, but that's the that is the mm -hmm. cliche at least. Um, and if you haven't listened to the previous three episodes of Whose Gender Is It Anyway and the series before that, Queer's History, go take a listen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we dive super deep into these communities and, and uh, yeah, it's really worth listening to. There was a lot to cover. Um, there was. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, you don't have to be questioning your gender to do drag. Um, you can do it just for fun. Um, you know, so it, so uh, I, I ask a few different drag performers, you know, like, why do you do this? Why do you spend all this money? Um, you know, kind of like, what do you get out of it? And they all say, I feel great doing it. You know, mm -hmm. it's just like, if you're an actor, you want to perform. If you're a singer, you want to perform. Well, if, you know, if you want to do, if, if, if you're, if you enjoy questioning and lampooning and, and even like honoring gender, um, it's fun and it's a great way to, to, ex to explore it in a safe environment. Well, it, it, ev like everyone has their thing of, they get the opportunity to, it, it feels good to express and perform in something that you feel great about. I mean, it's, it's very similar to us doing this podcast. We enjoy telling these stories. We enjoy doing this research. We enjoy having these discussions and it's, a chance for us to express our interests and our passions by doing this show. And so it's similar to someone who's playing football, someone who, you know, acts on a play, someone who does woodworking, you know, whatever, everyone, like everyone has something they put their energy into that they can express themselves. And it just so happens mm -hmm. that, you know, gender expression is a very large means of expression in the world. And like Absolutely, we said in the yeah. last episode, everybody does it, except they it doesn't necessarily mean they do it in the means of drag. Gender expression is something that everyone does on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it, it, it and it also doesn't necessarily like I think there's a lot of cliches about drag that I found to to be um, pretty pervasive, um, even in the queer community. But isn't an absolute truth and is actually changing as well. Um, I things wanted, like, have you, um, just because I know you're a, a, a huge movie junkie. Um, I am too, but not, I don't have quite as much knowledge as you do. And I guess Kara, you as well. Um, but like shows like, uh, what is it? Kinky boots. Right. Yes. And then the other one with Robin Williams and, Birdcage. Birdcage, yes, which I thought yeah. was a great movie, but I guess did were those a good expression of drag in like in the real world? I know Kinky Boos is like super yeah. over the top and whatnot, um, but I thought Birdcage did a pretty good job, at least from so, my understanding. Well, I've I've never seen Kinky Boots. Okay. Um, I, it's been on my list for a while. Very campy in Broadway, like most right. Campy, but um, I feel like it was. I mean, aside from Rocky Horror Picture Show, it was definitely the first like, big foray into mainstream Broadway um, stories about any type of drag culture, which was fun. Mm -hmm. The ones, that, the one. I mean, I, I mean, basically, and any representation that is at all positive, I think, is 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 good. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> you know, like, like even if they don't get it quite right, you know. I mean, the things that 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 come to mind with me that I've seen and I, I highly recommend are. Um, uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. That was that's one of that's to this day is one of my favorite movies. Um, absolutely adorable musical, and I mean just just uh, it's basically about um, a actually in this case I guess they are um, somewhat trans, but um, but the, it's about a a comedy about a botched sex operation. Oh my god! Um, um, and uh, and so the main character is uh, which uh, Hansel is you know, understandably a little, uh, ir irritable <laughs> throughout the whole thing. Um, and, uh, and, and they're doing a traveling, uh, drag 
uh, rock band uh, that uh, that is, and the music is, oh my goodness, so good. I mean, you can, I rock out to it all the time when I'm driving. It's so good. Um, and it was recently brought back. Um, Neil Patrick Harris actually brought it back to Broadway. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, originally it was um, John Cameron Mitchell, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and and so and it's still going on. So and it's super successful. And anyway, so but but uh, but that's that's a really positive, I think, uh, uh, kind of foray into gender questioning um, and and drag and and even trans in that case. Um, and the other one that comes to mind um, is Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Did you ever see that? It has no. Patrick Swayze. Wesley Snipes and John Lake Wazamo in drag. Oh my goodness. Wow. It's so good. Please seek it out. It's, it's hilarious. It's really fun. Um, in their, in their case, none of them were queer though, and they are playing queer characters. So, so it does have some stereotypes and it does kind of, it doesn't like, it's not like the perfect expression of, 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 you know, the queer ideas and stuff, Right. but, but it is a lot of fun. And it was so cool to see like these like really good looking actors, um, you know, take these roles and do parts that were completely different than, mm-hmm. than everything else that they've played before or since and basically rock it. I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah, cool. Um, All right. Priscilla queen of the desert is the other one. I have to mention that one because that one, that one has, um, Oh, I think it's the guy from the matrix. The bad guy from the matrix does, does drag in that. Oh, um, um like on his name. Yeah. Something. Yeah. But Lord of the Rings guy. Um, whatever yeah. his name is. But but uh but it's I mean any representation is, is good and 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 in general it's it's positive and it's it's very like about uh this it definitely talks about self-expression, it talks about finding community, especially when your community, meaning your family, may have rejected you. Um, you know, so that so all of those things are important to to get across um out there in the world. Um, and what I was going to say, though, like a second ago, is um, there's a lot of cliches about drag that that don't necessarily hold up. Like you always see um, cisgender men um, dressing as women on for drag. And that mm-hmm. and while that is a huge part of it, that's not all of it. There's um, you know, you can you can uh, be a, um, a, a woman that dresses as a as a man um, that's called a drag king versus a drag queen. Mm-hmm. Um you can uh, you can even dress in your own gender and and not change gender for drag, but be something you know very very usually very uh, over the top more than than your right. personality would be kind of character. like a, a caricature of the gender you're trying to portray. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have one friend that is um, he's he's more I'd say soft spoken in real life. Um, and then, but as soon as he becomes this character, I'm blinking on the character's name. I'm going to feel bad <laughs> about this later, but, um, but uh, when, as soon as he becomes this character, um, that's also male, um, that also a man, um, it, he, he, he kind of just bursts out of himself and it, mm-hmm. it becomes larger than life. Like in this case, I think it's kind of like a playboy, you know? Oh yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, so, so there's, there's, there's no rules. I mean, it, the only rule is, is that there are no rules. Um, you know, you can, you can really change it up. You can, you can even have characters that kind of go back and forth or kind of a, a version of both. Um, Storm, who we're talking to later, um, does a character that is kind of um, like, like, it, like they'll have like a, like a sparkle beard. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's <laughs> like cool. 
he'll draw a beard and kind of add sparkles and stuff. I mean, so, I mean, it's just this kind of really weird, like, like gender bending mm-hmm. well, thing that you can do. It's, it's very interesting hearing about all this because it's, it goes against the whole idea of gender confirmation and abiding by all these expectations that are put place in society. You know, it, we talked about it in Queer's History, where you start out pink as girl, blue as boy. And this is kind of a whole way of going against that and being able to express yourself in basically any form that you want. So, uh, you know, one of the things that, that uh, drag performers do um, is they really sort of mess with gender expectations. Um, you know, so one performance might be um, kind of making fun of how um, you know, one gender is expected to be a certain way or something and do the exact opposite. Whereas, uh, the following performance, you know, might play into those gender expectations and, and, and they might really enjoy that. It's really like a very individual choice. And yet it all kind of works within the, the, the framing of, of drag community. So with, with y'all's understanding of drag, uh, so we look at someone like Lucille Ball, who um, in I, I Love Lucy was known for wearing pants. And in the 1950s, that was not I mean, it was common, but it was still like, whoa, why are you wearing pants? Like that's men's clothing is. And then, you know, similarly, we look a little bit more extreme with David Bowie and Prince um, in the 1970s with these, you know, these glam rock lifestyles. But. Uh, with specifically someone like Lucille Ball, is that is that still considered drag? I, is or is there like a is that kind of like where drag came from? From your understanding? Well, I mean, drag is the performance aspect so of it. Drag so drag is I specifically mean, like a drag performance. Yeah, I mean, okay. it, I mean, if you're so if we're talking about about um, gender expression, yes, that like I mean, that is definitely a very bold gender expression choice. Um, you know, so Lucy wearing pants and, and on the show, the character, you know, was always trying to, 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 to work and, 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 uh, get the next big job or whatever. And, and Ricky is always telling her, you know, no, stay home. I just want you to be a housewife. And then usually by the end of the episode, like Ricky's okay with it. Um, but you know, <laughs> Good so, job, I mean, Ricky. right. I mean, so like, and like, it's like, so it was definitely like a big statement, you know, at okay. that time to, 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 to wear pants, to, 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 to want to figuratively, you know, wear, wear the pants in the family, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and, uh, and yeah, but uh, it, it's definitely it's more of an expression than than necessarily drag. A drag I, to me, drag is more of a character. I guess um, I don't know. I guess you could maybe say that a rock star kind of puts on a character when they perform their shows. Mm-hmm. Like you could uh, definitely sure say like at home, like Ziggy Stardust could be considered drag, right? right? Yes, I, I think that would probably would be considered drag. Um, yeah, and it definitely lifted that type of performance and artistic expression. Um, you know, out of sort of the underground and into and a lot more of the mainstream. Right. I mean, what bigger rock stars than David Bowie and Prince to be able to do that? Music is so interesting too, you know, that like way before gay representation was happening in, you know, TV and movies and things like that. And like fictional characters, like you had personalities like this, you had like Elton John who like, everyone knew was gay i mean he was like the gayest <laughs> person ever you know and 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 he was so open about it he was never timid mm-hmm. about it you know, he didn't go the way of like liberace or something where where like you might kind of know or it's obvious later but like it definitely was not like out in the public back then um but 
but with Elton John and, and, and David Bowie and all that, like you figured that, you know, that was probably true. Like, even if you didn't have the terminology for it, like you, you kind of understood that, that they were just a different type of person. Right. Like, I feel like when you have the capability of being able to be yourself, it, it comes across pretty clearly. You know, and I, I, I would assume just because of their oh, the exactly. privilege they gained as, you know, people with pretty significant clout that they were more capable of expressing themselves naturally like that um, compared to some other people. Granted, everyone has their struggles. Everyone has their, uh, you know, trials and tribulations they go through. I would definitely argue that their um, status that they gained gave them a platform to specifically express themselves in that manner. We're getting a little bit more accepting of um, not putting so much stock into what people wear. Like we think of people like JVN from Queer Eye who, you know, some days wears heels and skirts and no one really says much about it. And like someone like Harry Styles, he's never said what his sexuality is. He kind of doesn't really understand why the question's being asked, rightfully so. He's like, I don't get it. Like I like to wear what I like to wear. And he's often compared to David Bowie with like his clothing style. But I do feel like we're starting to get to a place slowly but surely where you can also just wear what you want to wear. And the first question that comes up isn't, so, you know, are you gay? Are you bi? It's just like, oh, they just like wearing articles of clothing. Mm-hmm. Side note real well, quick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Queer Eye, uh, for our anniversary, uh, mine and Shelby's anniversary was on the 29th of September. Uh, she got me from Queer Eye Anthony. She got me his cookbook for our anniversary and i'm so excited i'm so excited to cook all the meals from the cookbook but anyway do they have fun names i know they seem pretty straightforward but the the design (laughs) the design and the layout and like the explanation and the exposition within the book with each recipe is very fun and engaging and the foreword of the book was actually written by ted allen who was the original like food guy from the original queer eye Okay. Um, so it was really cool that he was able to cooperate with him on his cookbook. Um, but just a little fun side note since we brought up Queer Eye. Um, back to drag. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so to answer your question, like I think I think the the modern drag movement you can trace back to actually vaudeville. Like if you, um, right. if you go back to the early 20th century, um, there was a figure named Julian Elton Eltinge. Um, it was I- a, he was an American uh, vaudeville performer, singer, and actor. Um, I believe he, he was not in the queer community. I think, uh, I think that he actually fought against the, the, what they called homosexual panic. Um, mm-hmm. and, and basically had to say I'm straight, but this, but wearing women's clothing is a, um, is an act and, and one to have a lot of fun with. And, and people did, they had a lot of fun with it. Is, so it says here you have, um, so Elting. I don't know, saying as a female impersonator or femi mimic, is that like derogatory or is that just like a slang term? I've, I've, I guess, so, to, um, I like don't know. femme is like, is, you know, feminine, uh, is it, right. like, I don't know what language I forget, but, um, uh, like femme fatale, you know, that's some sort of, same sort of thing. Um, no, I don't think it's supposed to be derogatory, but it is, but it is meant for comedy. But I don't necessarily think it's comedy at the expense of the gender. I think at this time it was supposed to be the comedy of the, the how how difficult it was for somebody to to hide their own gender in order to be something mm-hmm. different. Gotcha. Um, so it wasn't necessarily about 
doing it um, to the point where you couldn't tell the difference. It was actually almost pointing out the difference, um, differences between that and how they kind of struggled. So it definitely isn't the same as as was later, you know, with with more like like RuPaul's Drag Race and stuff like that, where they're supposed to basically um, embody the idea of 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 the female gender as men, not look mm-hmm. awkward. Well, and, and we'll go over here soon in a bit. Where we look at the the uh, drag competitions known as um, balls, where there's basically different categories that you compete in, and one of them is realness, and it's basically your capability of taking on the gender that you're trying to portray. Right. And I should mention that, that trans people and, and, and anybody, but especially trans people do find some um, offense at, at, at that um, that is being done about realness mm. um, because um, they almost feel like it's, um, it's, it's implying that you can't be a real woman. Like, and so right. like, it's like a pretend, like, like, so, so they kind of get caught up with like, 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 why would we make that a competition? You know, like, yeah, like, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that part is a little bit more the controversial side where like an older drag performer would be totally okay with it. So somebody like RuPaul, who's, I don't know what, 50, 60, um, yeah. like, like, you know, they're part of the old school drag. That was a big part of it. But, but now it's, it's, it's about you know, bending the gender, not necessarily like becoming, um, I guess. Yeah. Well, not like in a literal sense, like you want mm-hmm. you, like, you don't want to make fun of it, but at the same time, like, like, like they had, I guess on RuPaul's drag race, they had a competition um, where it was like, I forgot the term. I don't want to get it wrong, but it was something like, um, like, can you spot the real woman? I think something like oh my that. God. Yeah. And they kind of had fun and they played it off and all that stuff. Yeah. But then trans people were like, you know, WTF, like, you know, like, you know, right. this is supposed to be an inclusive show. And you're like, you're like lifting up the dress and like, you know, and feeling around kind of thing. Like, you know, it's right. like, this is like, this is not like a, a proper thing to be, to be showing in the queer community. It's like, the, it kind of comes to the point where it's like, this is my drag. Let me perform my drag. Yeah, I mean, it's all about. It should be about fun. It 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 should be about in, expressing yourself and not necessarily just making fun of like, you know, the idea of of how awkward this this human being is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the figures or two of the figures actually that really came to mind for me when I was looking this up uh, was Milton Berle and Flip Wilson. Um, Flip Wilson was the first black um, performer to have a successful. Um, variety show and Mm -hmm. flip wilson's uh main character um that was popular was um when he cross-dressed as geraldine jones um who had a great quote is what you see is what you get right uh that that was like their catchphrase he used to say and and it was and he always said it was like a bunch of sass and all that and like and he did it in a really respectful way um but at the same time again it was it was really clear with these performers that like this was just an act. It was just for fun. And like, don't think I'm gay because I did it, you know? So like, it was still very, um, um, it was still, it was still could kill, kill your career. If somebody thought you actually did this in real life. That's so And I'll say it again because I, I know it's wild. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, you say here, you know, in the 1950s and 1960s, there were still, laws where you could be arrested for dressing as the opposite sex so there's this kind of 
weird. It was this kind of limbo status where it was kind of between a lot because it was a performance, not necessarily you like just you doing it to do it. It was part of this persona, part of this performance, this show that you're doing. So it was, I guess I, I would imagine there were plenty of times where the law didn't necessarily separate that. <laughs> I mean, it's so, it's so weird. I mean, it, it would have been similar to like, like, you know, the forties, fifties where, you know, you're, you're a prominent black performer, but as soon as you're done with your show, they kick you out, right? you know, or you're, or you're in the movie and you won an Oscar and you can go up there for, to accept your Oscar and then, but you can't actually sit in the theater. You know I mean? It's kind of similar to that where like, like, it's it's progress, I guess, but at the same time, like you're you're a, it's like you know you can you can do drag as a performance in the underground, but you have to like denounce it at every other turn, you know, in order otherwise you could be arrested. Mm-hmm. It's it's fascinating because there's so much of this kind of legal question at that time, at least, of drag and dressing of the opposite sex. But you look at stuff like blackface, where no one even thought about it. Just totally fine, right? And it kind of shows that, I guess, uh, juxtaposition within society at the time. Right, and I mean, and a lot of it, too, one of the reasons that blackface is such a negative and not the same as drag is that it was it was meant to make fun of the oh, yeah. people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Whereas, whereas drag, even when it even when it makes fun of gender, it usually does it as a way of saying, you know, women are more than these cliches. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't make fun of, of the woman. It makes fun of what the woman is made to be. Um, or sometimes it celebrates it, you know, and it has that end of it too. Um, so whereas blackface is much more of like a look at these people that, you know, aren't even able to be in the theater with us. Let's make fun of them. Like that's Ryan. just ugh, gross, you know? <laughs> um, Let's talk about wig wig stock. Yes, because I I have I, never heard of. This. I, I love the name wig wig stock. If you get a chance, um, in our show notes page for this episode, Curtis has a YouTube link uh, underneath where it says movie on wig stock, and it's like an hour twenty ish minutes long. Curtis, you watched like forty five minutes of it, right? I did, yeah, just because I, I didn't have a lot of time today. But yeah, um, <laughs> what yeah, was it, it was, like? It was it was so much fun. I mean, it was. Uh, uh, it's a you know I mean it's at this point it's kind of a part of history. Um, so uh, you know Wigstock was uh, uh, it began in 1984 in Manhattan's East Village, um, and uh, it used to take place on Labor Day every year. It eventually was was uh, stopped when um, uh, I guess they had a couple of years of that that got rained out and they didn't have enough money to right. keep it going and there was a lot of pressure from. Uh, Mayor Giuliani at the time to to move it into a different different part of the city because it was inconvenient to some of the people that that live there, um, and uh, and all that. But but the, so at this point it doc it kind of documents what it was even though it's come back again in the last couple years. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks but, people uh, like Neil know, Patrick Harris. Yeah, thanks Neil Patrick Harris <laughs> once again. Once again, so many we we are in such debt to Neil Patrick Harris. A shining light. <laughs> <laughs> really, really. Um, but yeah, um, uh, yeah. So I mean, the documentary was, you know, it just kind of shows how like out and loud they were, um, and uh, and probably still are. Um, how you know they they would, uh, I guess it started 
when these um when when i guess they just did a performance in the middle of the park um in 1984 <laughs> and just they just kind of did it without any permission and it became popular mm-hmm. so they kept so they, so they did it officially yeah, literally performed um, this <laughs> spontaneous like i guess drag show in front of a bunch of homeless people and it grew and became this festival <laughs> wigstock obviously some wordplay off of woodstock but it just this spontaneous thing that happened and it became huge it's about as grassroots as you can get i think i know right? <laughs> you're literally sitting in the grass doing it but you know <laughs> um yeah and uh, i guess even the year that it rained they said that the well the performers uh the quote was the performers complained a little bit about their running mascara, but the bigger problem was that the crowd didn't come out. So that's like why it initially went out of business, but, but like they were performing in the rain, like, you know, like, wow, like that's awesome. Dedication to their <laughs> festival. Yeah. yeah. And so apparently RuPaul was, was really, um, uh, positively affected by this and, and got a lot of the idea to do, RuPaul's Drag Race um, and and that whole persona um, based on a lot of what they saw at this festival. Uh, apparently, there's a little bit of tension though between RuPaul and um, the person that runs it. Uh, uh, Lady RuPaul Lady has a lot of tension with a lot of people. It seems like. Yes, she does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's something we need to bring up with Storm later. I know, I know, I know they have an opinion on RuPaul, um, and you know, it's it's always it always kind of starts off with this thing of like, like, uh, like, like they're happy that RuPaul has brought it to the mainstream and it is successful, but at the same time, like, there's not an inclusiveness um, of trans people, for example, um, on RuPaul's Drag Race and. And that just always seems a little counterintuitive to like the overall message of the show. So, you know, there's, there's other shows um, that do a better job of it. Um, there's a uh, Dragula, which I've actually still not seen, but what got recommended to me. Dragula um, sounds pretty. It's based. Have you seen it, Kara? No, but it's, is it like actually for spooky season or is it just. So, yeah. So Dragula is um, basically a knockoff part or knockoff version of rupaul's uh drag race and it's horror themed so every every i don't know how often they do it but it's just horror stuff and they it's kind of like um um oh what's the old joe rogan um fear factor it's kind of like a drag show version of fear factor where they have to just do these crazy gross stuff like um actually um it was um uh, on Dragula, it was the first um, drag king winner, right? And um, they had to eat like live spiders, jump out of a helicopter, oh have like but all this crazy stuff. And they were the first drag king to it's a winner win. in a very loose term. <laughs> to, yeah, in a loose term, but win this. Um, I guess you. I don't know. I guess may, win a mainstream drag show. I believe. But, yeah, but they included a drag a drag king though. That's really important. Yes, like, it's like, very and they they're like through this, you know, prejudice. We're gonna, exactly we're gonna afterward they were like, you know, we went through this and we want to be that example of how even if you're not, you know, the more I guess you could say, yeah, more supported, honestly, drag queen, you know, drag kings are just as important and they're just as lively and they can come out and do these things and they won a very apparently very popular show in Dragula 
Um, but they had to do a lot of stuff that I probably wouldn't do to do it. So more power to them. Um, I don't know if I'm going to eat a live spider. Right dollar amount, Dalen. Well, well, thankfully, like, you know, when they brought back Wigstock in 2018, uh, Lady Bunny and Neil Patrick Harris, um, they actually wanted to make it more inclusive. And so that was, that was, and, and apparently they, you know, I mean, they didn't invite RuPaul to be a part of it, nor did RuPaul, I guess, exactly show interest. (laughs) Um, And, and so that's where that kind of tension goes, you know, is, is coming from is this, this idea of like, you know, you you have your 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 power now, but you're but you're kind of selling us out and like not including everyone. So it's really cool that now that this is coming back, mm-hmm. that it is, it, they are very inclusive. Well, and so much of this comes from what is kind of known as '70s ballroom culture, which actually starts around the 1920s. And so it's you know the whole idea of the booming 20s, and you have these um, basically these big drag fashion shows, which were at the time, especially in the 1920s mainly white men putting on these drag shows and um, there were black queens who would participate but they were expected to lighten their faces basically so there was still a lot of discrimination a lot of exclusion within the drag show culture and so starting in the 1960s the underground drag uh, the underground ballroom culture started mainly with minorities and they um, it really blew up, um, especially with um, like the Harlem Renaissance at the time. It was a big part of it um, within the black community. But especially with um, Stonewall, that whole series of events within June 28th, 1969, it created this feeling of just like acceptance and pride and power. And going from there into the 1970s, ballroom culture just exploded. And all of a sudden, people felt a lot more accepted within the drag show community. So much about this is about acceptance, too. You know, if if it makes so much sense that, you know, you uh, you uh, you go your whole life not feeling like you belong or not or, or questioning your gender, perhaps, or just just wanting to have fun with people that are like yourself. And and suddenly here is this expression that that uh, allows you to do all of those things at once. And that like, wow, like what an awesome, like awesome thing to do. And what a cool like way to end this series too, talking about like such a fun topic. Oh yeah. And so this, um, I got this article about ballroom cultures from Grinnell college, really take a look. It's a very interesting um, article and they've got a whole bunch of sources and whatnot linked to basically drag performances. Um, but Ballroom culture was really the start of a lot of things. <coughs> Sorry. Um, it was really the start of a lot of things. It started kind of the whole idea of like a runway walk. You know, it it started actually Vogue came from right. ballroom culture. Yeah, shout out to Madonna for, for right. you know, for taking that idea and then and then running with it and making it even more popular, mm-hmm. even though, you know, it didn't necessarily get assigned to queer community at the time, but everyone knows what a Vogue is now. Oh, yeah. And it, it all started here. And it actually ballroom culture was so much more than just a space for performance. It actually created a community within the queer culture. And so um, basically within these ball um with i guess within these balls they were literally these competitions they had different categories you compete in that's where the idea of you know the category of realness and then you have the walk and then you had 
later on, the Vogue and all these different categories that you would participate in. There was literally one category for um, um, drag kings where it was like businessman. (laughs) (laughs) You know, all these just different categories of drag expression. But what they what ballroom culture did so far beyond just the performances themselves they created basically groups within the drag community called houses or families and basically there were places and most often they were literally homes where people who um, were in the queer community involved in the drag community who weren't accepted within their biological families they had a place to go they had a family and so some of these, and they call them um, alternative families, they had a mother who was mostly a butch queen, a, a gay a gay man, or they had a femme queen, transgender woman. They had a father who was mostly butch queen or a butchess, uh, transgender men. Yeah, I think, I think, the, I think the, the mother figure in this would be more feminine. I think the butch queen would be the, um, right. the, the, the masculine figure. Um, but they had basically these families that were created in ballroom culture. And with these performances, it would be these families or these houses that would basically team up and go to these performances together. And they would create these specific um, like drag themes um, amongst one another. Uh, But it really did so much beyond just the performances themselves and really creating that acceptance and that community that the queer community and queer people really needed at the time. And it, carried on even into modern times and i think it says somewhere here that even rupaul yeah rupaul got their start um in ballroom culture yeah and the uh i think the idea is it gets to something called a drag court a court um and uh that is it's it's essentially what you described um and it still goes on today there's chapters um all over the world there's there's a there's uh, it actually crosses international borders um you know so so you know we we actually could could um you know solve we, we could solve the the idea of world peace through drag shows i mean that 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 is not i, I believe that that actually could happen <laughs> i mean that's that's kind of a big like that's a big jump i know but like but you know whenever you're getting people across borders working together and in 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 fair playful competition um you're you're gonna you're gonna get camaraderie and you're gonna get less less violence and less, you know, xenophobia. So, you know, every time that happens, that's a good thing. It just seems to radiate positivity. Like when, if you're around dragon, it just radiates. Like we're just enjoying ourselves and we're just being ourselves. All right. So with all of that, we're going to take a quick little break. We've got storm coming up next. We're going to talk a little bit more in depth about drag and their experience within the community. Um, and, uh, Yeah, just dive deeper into the world of drag. So stick around. We'll be back momentarily. Hi, everyone. Dalen here. I just want to give a quick thanks to everybody who listens to this show. Recently, Social Discord came in at number 33 on Stitcher's Top 100 Growing Podcasts. We still have a long ways to go, but because of you, we are quickly climbing the ladder. I think I speak for the three of us when I say thank you so much for listening and supporting us as we continue developing the show and covering such important topics. By subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing the show with your family and friends, you're already helping Social Discord grow, and we can't thank you enough. 
If there's anything you want us to cover or anything that you have questions about previous topics, let us know. We would love to chat with you. Reach out at pwbnetwork at gmail.com and we would love to chat. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back to Social Discord episode 13. Whose gender is it anyway? Gender expression through drag shows. I'm your host, Dalen Turk. I'm Sarah Tebow. I'm Curtis Medina. In the first part of this episode, we were talking a little bit about the history of drag and really what drag is. And now we've got a guest to join us. Uh, Curtis, why don't you introduce our guest for today's episode? Yes, hooray. I'm so, so happy to, to have my very good friend Storm with us today. Um, they go by they, them pronouns, uh, are non-binary um are an excellent human being i should have started with that one um <laughs> and uh and and one of the most talented people i have ever met well thank you that was really sweet of you to say <laughs> thanks for joining us storm of course uh the whole you know it's really cool that storm came on because actually like the whole um reason i got really interested in in both uh this topic and queer's history um, and, and you know, gender expression and everything was because on these long drives that that Storm and I would take, um, I, I would basically just ask Storm questions left and right. And and I what I realized after a while was that I was actually asking a lot of the wrong questions. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that the way I was framing it was not it was it was hard to sort of like untangle um and and kind of like know where to start in order to answer it <laughs> so right. i was like you know i probably should should uh look into this a little bit more and uh and and it was this last summer uh storm and i were working together and storm was doing this um this online um auction uh where they where they were asking trivia questions um about uh queer culture um in order to win prizes and one of the questions was, uh, when did Stonewall happen? I believe it was what year was Stonewall, and and I didn't know that. And I and and my guess was actually about twenty years off from the date. I thought it was wow. twenty years later than it actually happened. Um, and uh, and so yeah, so I realized like, wow, I, you know, I have this big blind spot, and I bet a lot of people out there, even people in the queer community, probably. Uh, could you know? Could either use a refresher, or maybe they've never even heard of a lot of these things. So, so Guess yeah. What? So you're storm, now you know you're the entire Stonewall. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we did a whole episode on it. Yeah. So storm, you're the, okay. you're the inspiration of of two different series on our show. So I'm so glad that that we're kind of capping it off. Yeah. Here. With, with I'm your, glad your the long nine hour drives of endless questions <laughs> helped something. <laughs> did you give up on me for a while? <laughs> Sometimes I just pretend to sleep. <laughs> I'm just gonna... headphones in and nothing playing. Well, now you on yourself, so in the future you can't pretend to sleep anymore. Right. That's Whoops. why you turned up the music. <laughs> I'm just going to crank this to 25 I, I, real quick. That storm was just interested in my music. They just wanted me to shut up. <laughs> okay. Well, well, and so in this episode, uh, we're specifically talking storm about about uh, uh, drag performance and and gender expression, but definitely more directly about uh, about doing it through drag. And you have a lot of experience with that, correct? Yeah, um, I, I'm a dra- drag performer. I have both of a, a mask uh, drag persona, Sebastian Stone, and a fem- uh, femme. Uh, drag persona in Sophia Stone, so I kind of play both sides of that coin. No, so- and, I mean, and, 
Um, I was just going to ask. So you, you said a mask persona? Mask, uh, mask as in masculine. Um, oh, okay. Male Sorry. Presenting. Okay, I gotcha. And and, and that fits really well with you because because as as non-binary, you know that is that is something that that you like exploring in your real life as well. Yeah, um, being non-binary is non-binary itself is kind of an umbrella term of everyone who kind of just fits doesn't fit in either the boy box or the girl box. Mm-hmm. Um, with me personally, um, most of the time when it comes to gender, I feel kind of static, kind of. Um, no real connection to it, but I will get fluctuations in between feeling a little more on the masculine side of the spectrum and some Mm -hmm. days feeling a little more on the feminine side of the spectrum. And drag has definitely, um, helped me explore that in a way that, um, no, no, nothing, no other avenues really have. Uh, And I mean, and originally when you were, when you were considering, joining drag you know what was kind of the what was kind of the thing that pushed you over the top and and sort of was like the origin story of 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 sophia and sebastian's characters well um i kind of i i grew up in a pretty rural area um my dad had always instilled in me that like anyone who did drag were um perverts were people that you shouldn't associate with yeah so I had a really bad impression um, before I even got exposed to the culture. And then um, flash forward um, to me being about 18, 19, um, I was at my very first drag show that my friends had drugged me along to. And um, the art form itself, I just absolutely fell in love with. But then after the show... Um, was a bad was a bad kid and had a fake, so I continued to stay at the bar. <laughs> um, and you had a fake ID. I had a fake ID. Um, <laughs> to, to be clear, I it's I mean, you were using it to, Ohio, to go Ohio. to a drag show, though. So I mean, that's not like the worst thing you can do with a fake ID. <laughs> well, in, in Montana, um, all the shows are eighteen plus, so yeah. we make we do a big. We work hard to make sure our shows are 18 plus mm-hmm. and then everyone who is under 21 gets kicked out after the show. Oh, um, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So I was good to be at the show. I just wasn't supposed to stay for the after part. But gotcha. <laughs> um, unfortunately, um, uh, a guy at the bar decided he thought I was cute and decided he was going to um, try to physically carry me out of the bar because I'm tiny and cute, I guess. He decided that was okay. Like take these, take home kind of thing? Like literally physically pick me up and try to carry me out of the bar. Like not to remove you, to like kidnap you? Basically to kidnap me. Okay. Oh my God. Because he'd been flirting with me all night and I'd been shutting him down and then he just decided that uh, he uh, needed to um, just physically pick me up and try to carry me out um and we there was uh two queens uh one her name's hex shadow um she's kind of this witchy queen who is gigantic <laughs> like way over six feet tall just this huge queen and then this other queen christina drake who's maybe five five hundred pounds dripping wet <laughs> um 
hundred pounds dripping wet. Hex picks this guy. Hex like removes him from this guy, picks up this man, and then Christina just starts wailing on him. And then the um, bartenders um, saw what was going on, got a bouncer, and they explained to the bouncer what was going on. So the bouncer actually let Hex throw the guy physically out of the bar. I thought that was pretty cool. And then I just kind of... They literally saved you. They literally saved me. And it kind of just kind of rewrote all my impressions that I had been predisposed to. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of got obsessed with it. So I eventually ended up um, reaching out um, to this organization called the ISDSM, which puts on drag shows in Montana. That's known as the Imperial Sovereign Court of the State of Montana. I got connected with um, one of their queens. um, And we got together and there was supposed to be a show that weekend. And she was like, there's no way that we're going to be able to get you all ready. And then she started thinking about all the extra stuff she had. So she gave me a list of stuff. Um, like I had to get a bra on my size. I was nannying at the time. I looked so awkward standing in target bra clearance, holding like a three year old little girl with me looking at bras, but you know what? <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um, but uh, I got the list of things, and she turned me into a queen uh, in like a week, basically. And my first drag name I thought of was Helga the Soccer Mom. The whole idea <laughs> was going to be like Soccer Mom, chic, drag. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a beard sometimes, so I was like, oh, I'll just do a bearded queen thing. And like the night before my first show, though, um, I had was was sleeping and i had this dream where i was just like in this room and sophia walks in and goes i know tomorrow's the first show i know the name that you picked out that's not gonna work (laughs) sophia stone and then i woke up in a cold sweat and that's how i knew what my drag name was gonna be wow that's incredible yeah. And then uh, Sebastian kind of came a little later when I got more into the burlesque scene. And I always had a joke when I was younger that if I ever became a male stripper, my name would be Sebastian. And I was <laughs> like, you know what? It works. Sebastian Stone, <laughs> Sophia Stone. It works. How how do you pick the last names again? There's some, there's something really like distinct to picking your 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 drag performance uh, performer like last name it's part of like the um the iscsm or part of the like like a family or something right uh, well so you have your regular drag last name like stone just came to me oh, right. um some people will have punny names um like my drag sister anita Pusey, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, my other drag sister sophia gloria hull <laughs> um so you have those names but then there's other family names, um, like you can choose to adopt someone into your family. So like, I could choose to adopt a drag child and give them uh, my last name. For instance, one of my drag daughters, her, her drag name is Electrocution. Um, but me adopting her and um, making her a part of my family, she now has the right to call herself Electrocution Stone. Um, what does it mean to be a drag child? Basically, a drag child is someone that you've taken in 
and mentored and taught everything um, them that you can um, of your own knowledge. Um, they could be children, literal children, but they, but it, but they don't have to. It, they can be it, any age, to, right? It, it, yeah. it can be any. Half of my drag children are older than me, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, like it's the people that you brought in to help, um, like help teach them the art and give them a space mm-hmm. to enjoy the craft. Um, but not every drag child you have will be giving your last name, right? Uh, for instance, my best friend and I, Vanilla Wafer. Uh, the two of us, uh, yeah, her drag name is Vanilla Wafer. That's incredible. Pretty fantastic. <laughs> she does a lot of the creepy clown stuff, and it's it's absolutely beautiful. It fit really well with the Dragula stuff, actually. That's that's like that's really awesome. Yeah, uh, it is pretty awesome. Uh, there's this one song that she does that it's called the Laughing Track. Literally, it's four minutes of just the creepy clown laugh. There's nothing. No <laughs> that's the whole performance. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but we started something that we called the bakery. Um, so basically, um, Vanilla and I, when we both got started, we had a queen that kind of taught us a little bit of makeup the first time we did it. And then we've kind of done it all on our own. A lot of times what happens is a queen or a king or a drag performer will pick out one person who's really interested and just focus on that one person. Uh, but the issue that was happening um, in the more recent times in the at least Montana drag scene is we had a lot of people who wanted to perform and a lot of older performers who didn't want to teach. Mm. Um, so we kind of started uh, calling ourselves the bakery, basically creating a space for anyone who wants to come in and learn drag stuff that they can. Um we always say that, like, I can teach you what um, I put on my face, uh, but, like, your makeup is going to be different. And, like, want to really give them the opportunity to play with their art style. Um, feel free to ask questions and make mistakes and things like that. Um, not a lot of the pressures to be perfect your first couple times or you're going to be dropped, which a lot of... Um, older performers will will do like you either have to catch on quick or they don't really want to they lose interest yeah what would you say is one of the biggest learning curves that some of these um, newcomers to the community have to face when they start doing drag um i think one of the biggest learning curves is creating their own aesthetic Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of um new performers who will come in and want to copy something else that someone has done a hundred times right. or, um, and like, if you are like, well, you're basically taking contour and like makeup and reforming the shape of your face to whatever kind of, if you want a more feminine, feminized face or a more masculine, faced, um, kind of like, learning the different attributes of their face and also taking the makeup skills that they're learning and kind of finding their own path. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and it's interesting, like, like the, 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 the Sophia persona that you, that you've come up with, or, or that I guess maybe came up through, through you since it was something that sort of told you, uh, you know, that they wanted to exist, um, you know, uh, is, is, is a, kind of a unique character 
um, at least to me, because it, it actually is one of the more subtle personas that I've seen in the way that like, it doesn't necessarily go for like an extremely over the top, like, you know, beehive, you know, like, like hairdo or something like, 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 and, and like even the way that Sophia dresses, uh, you know, she's very, um, uh, I mean, she has a lot of variety, but is, but is also like, like could, could work in a lot of different surroundings and, 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 and be and totally like fit in. Well, here's the thing about drag queens is everyone you are you're creating the persona that you want to present you are creating your own character um for some people that's going to be over the top craziness for some people that's going to be a more like subtle approach um like for me like i do do a lot of the, like i I find myself being more drawn towards more subtle things. Like I know a lot of queens like to have like big flashy jewels and I'm more of a pearl girl. <laughs> um, but like, it's kind of <laughs> just kind of your own personal like preference. Um, sometimes like I'll do like more over the top, like mystical looks. Like I have a Valkyrie thing that I do and a witch thing I do. And I've got like a green lantern cosplay that I like a lot. And like, so I kind of try to not do the same thing every single time. Um, there's a lot of people who will start drag and like get stuck in the same routine of the same look basically that they want to do. And they see all these, gaudy performers who and they want to emulate that so instead of kind of exploring their own path they kind of follow the paths that have already been set up um i mean i would say that sophia especially is a lot more approachable um you know and like after a show like i i have no problem coming up to you even if i would say even if i didn't know you um and saying hello having a conversation where sometimes you know if if the persona that is chosen is so over the top, you know, it, it can be kind of uh, hard to strike up a conversation or, you know, you might even be a little intimidated. I definitely have felt that. And I, I, I can see that. And I think that's kind of also kind of based per performer. There's a lot of performers who are just performing to perform. Um, just wanting to look pretty uh, and do some cool performances, but then they kind of, there's no connection to the community. Whereas for me, a lot of my drag, I use it for a platform for community outreach. Which is fantastic, so, by the way. Yeah. T tell us a little you. bit about that. What, what kind of, what kind of like, I love the idea of like, of not just doing drag in the bar environment because you know a lot of people there might be underage they don't like drinking they don't want to be in a bar you know i mean so so the idea of breaking away from that and not just doing that is i think is awesome so tell us a little bit about some of that outreach that you do oh okay like a lot of my outreach like i will do things within and work with other like outreach coordinators uh through different nonprofits to go be at their events go help with their events because they come in support us i think that we should go and help and support them but also like i found it is a great way to connect with the youth um before covid 
Um, I was doing um, a drag story hour once a month. What's that um, exactly? So drag story hour is where um, a drag performer, um, they can be a drag queen, a drag king, drag in between, whatever you, uh, whatever they want. You basically get in drag and um, you read some, you do some story time with some kids um, or you can do, you can do adult centered story times too, but I, I do youth centered story times. Um, a lot of times, including in that, we'll do like some kind of craft or activity and like sometimes we'll do like sing-alongs or things like that. Kind of just whoever's running it um, will kind of craft it to um, their strengths and also to their audience. Um, what's what's the reaction from kids like when they, when they when they see this or they talk to you after the show? They, they usually absolutely love it. Like. Sometimes they're like a little confused at first, but like I'll get comments all the time about how I'm just the most beautiful princess they've ever seen and things like that, <laughs> um, which I think is really sweet. Um, and like a lot of times it's like a little bit of a, like a, like a, just an, oh, wow reaction, just kind of in awe of this person. And like, I think it's really important for this kind of exposure because it kind of it it helps like get kids exposed to different diverse types of people mm -hmm. that like even if they aren't like the person who's up there reading that they know that it's okay to be different because this person's different and living a very happy life why can't i be different and live a happy life i mean that's such a positive message you know that it's like it's not about necessarily um, you know, telling them that they should do this, but, you know, but saying that, you know, there are lots of different people in the world you're going to encounter and that it's okay to be different. It's okay to be yourself. Um, it's okay to be accepting, even if you're not, of, you know, not interested in doing that yourself. That's, that's so cool. Exactly. Like I'm showing them that you can, you can be different and like, you don't have to be, you don't have to put yourself in the box that society puts you in and like you can you can live happily like and i i just really enjoy that aspect of it um growing up in a rural area myself i did not get a lot of exposure to the queer community um so like i think it's important to be able to reach out especially these young kids who are young um and like who are may have all these different thoughts going in their head and they're so confused and if they've never had the opportunity to see someone who's like them or someone who is living a happy life being different from all the rules they've been given like i think that's really important for mental health like um unfortunately suicide rates are so high amongst our lgbtq youth and a, a lot of those youth are not given access to um, diverse groups of people to kind of start to understand themselves. So they stop talking about these things and bottle them up. And then like, like then it, at some point it gets to the point where they're ready to explode. Mm -hmm. And if I can, if I can show up and show someone that, Hey, you might not be exactly like me, but it's okay to be, different from the people around you 
Like if that could help even one kid, like that's, I've done my duty for the day. You know, we talked wow. about it early in the episode um, with the ballroom culture, and then you touched on it too. This idea of you know creating these families and creating these houses within the drag community. It, it seems like drag culture, um, at least from the research that we've done in the past handful of episodes, compared to other um, cultures within the community, really creates or attempts to create kind of an ideal safe space for queer people. And it seems like it's something that you're able to accomplish specifically with queer youth. Yeah, it's it's so beautiful. We can build these families, this chosen family, because a lot of us may not have the healthiest relationships with our biological family. Mm-hmm. And like, but you still need that kind of support. And, um, like part of like what I've been doing is like all ages drag shows, for instance, like some of these queer youth that want to get involved with the community, but have not had any outlet, uh, for that. And they can be able to reach out and join us and enjoy the things that we also enjoy. And like, like, get to learn their art a little bit more, get to understand themselves more. And they get to be around people who are um, supportive and helping like build that solid foundation for them. Well, and, you know, when we were talking before the show um, a couple weeks ago, I think, um, you know, one of the things we talked about was one of the reasons that a, a lot of drag happens in bars is because that's kind of where it had to happen because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't accepted for such a long time that that was kind of one of the safe spaces that it could occur. But there's absolutely no rule that says, you know, you have to go to a bar or, you know, to, to watch drag or that drag has to be, um, you know, sexualized or adult or whatever. Um, and and it's really cool that now um, that it's generally becoming more accepted that, you know, we can we can see this other aspect of drag that doesn't that that that's sort of family friendly and you know kind and and uh, and community friendly and and can really do some some good outside of just um, the queer community. Exactly, like what's like a lot of the spaces that people have been able to perform have been in bars. So like, of course, it's going to be a more adult centered show, but then that is kind of help create this mindset that drag is just for adults and drag is all sexual. And that's not true. Like drag is all about the art, like, and being able to explore like different aspects of gender. And like, so, and then we have, we have a lot of people who would love to come and support drag who are under 18. We have a lot of people who just don't want to be in bars. Um, and like, it's really cool because you can you can change how you do the programming for your audience. You can I like you can have very successful family friendly shows that people feel free feel like excited to bring their grandma to, bring their kids to. Like I remember them in support. And then you can do other activities that aren't specifically a drag show that you get to interact with someone uh with one of these drag personas, um, like like drag bingo, for instance, people can go and <laughs> do just that, about have that. a great time, and <laughs> still have that fun back and forth interaction um, 
with like the drag performer without like having to basically watch a strip show or something mm-hmm. along those lines. <laughs> Um, let's talk about RuPaul a little bit and Drag Race and sort of like what it mm. what it gets. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <boy>. <laughs> so what I kind of what does it get right? What does it help? And sort of like what does it get very very wrong in your eyes? I know you're very opinionated on this. Well, I'll start with my good points first. <laughs> what is good about? RuPaul's Drag Race is the fact that it is getting queer like culture into popular media. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the only good point? <laughs> that's about as far as points? my, as my okay. personal bad points. Uh huh. Um, what I hate <laughs> about RuPaul's Drag Race <laughs> is that it is most of the time, like, first off, most of the time, that is the only, um, like that is the only exposure a lot of people will get to drag, especially right. coming from rural areas is catching it on TV or hearing about it. And then they just see these like very televised fake versions of these Queens that are catty against each other. And of course, editing makes it all that much worse. Um, Typical reality TV, like drama, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, dramatizing it, not really showing the actual work that a lot of uh, these performers are doing outside of drag. And then then there's RuPaul, uh, who has made very transphobic remarks, um, stating that drag should just be a boy's game, that um, he that she wouldn't want like any um, any women that perform as drag queens on the show that being a trans women or um didn't rupaul um, compare like um someone taking um who's going through um like hormone therapy um participating in drag performance is equal to a bicyclist blood doping which I guess, what are your thoughts that on it's that? Some kind of a cheat or something. Yeah. I think it was the implication. Like basically you're taking uh, performance enhancing, you know, drugs. Well, here's the thing is RuPaul is one of those Queens that believes that drag should just be drag Queens and, um, it should be men, uh, performing as women. Uh, However, drag is so much more than that. Mm-hmm. Like you're cre- with drag, you're creating a persona. So it shouldn't matter what gender it is you identify as outside of drag. If you want to be a drag king, a drag queen, drag in between, you should have every right to do that. Like, and the thing is, is no matter what kind of body type you have, drag is going to have its challenges because you're going to want to do specific body modifications or pad in certain places or tape certain places down to create kind of the illusion you want. And you're still creating like a beautiful art form and you're still doing art with your makeup, with your outfits, with your costuming. Like it shouldn't matter if you were like, going through hormone replacement surgery or therapy, excuse me. And also like 
they're gonna have their own issues like um getting into drag and they're going to be doing different things to be getting into drag and like and obviously when you're starting hormone replacement therapy you're not going to have a lot of changes right away Mm -hmm. and a lot of times um without any sort of gender affirmation surgery trans people aren't going to specifically have the body they want and so when doing drag if if they're wanting to add more over-the-top features they're still going to have to add those features in themselves or modify those features themselves like well and it's it's, it's not- such a cliche too because like you know a, a a lot of of cisgender men um that that does that do drag you know they might start off with a a feminine jawline or they might, you know, they might, they might start off with features that are, that are considered to be more feminine and, and, you know, and, and, uh, in a way that's sort of like, you could think of it as unfair advantage, or you could think of it as like, like what makes the sport of it interesting, you know, much like, uh, if you're watching a football game or something and somebody, you know, because of just the makeup of what they naturally, you know, started off with they're they're, faster and somebody else who has to work a lot harder to get up to that point. So, I mean, like in a way, like the differences is what makes competitions interesting. If we were all exactly the same, it would be the most boring, you know, competition or game ever. Exactly. Like our differences are like what makes it interesting, what it makes, why it makes drag so unique per person. Would you say uh, I guess younger drag performers are um, more, not to say that it's a hundred percent either way, but would you say that younger drag performers are more inclusive than I guess you could say older, more established drag performers such as, you know, RuPaul has been in it for a long time now. Uh, would you say there's more inclusivity with it nowadays? Yeah. Um, I would say a lot of the younger generation of performers coming out are more inclusive, more um, ready to accept all different types of people um, to come into drag because we've started to realize how important it is for each person to be able to explore their gender identity, explore what they want to do with their performance art. And like, realizing that everyone should have like an equal chance to try these things what do you think should be like the general overall like message that the drag doing drag delivers like to the community like what is sort of like if you had to like sum it up as like kind of the the mantra of it what what do you think it would be hmm I would say overcoming society's expectations of you and being able to share a part of yourself confidently in a way that you've not been able to before. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah, no, totally. I think that's a great mantra. (laughs) Like, Like for me and a lot of people that I talk to, doing drag is kind of like our armor that Mm -hmm. you can have the ability 
to have the confidence to do things that normally we'd be too scared to do. And like a part of that is being who we are and loving the things that we love and not caring about society's expectations for us. That makes sense. Um, let's, I, th- I think, I feel like we should, we should move to the, the feminists, uh, the feminists that are against trans or basically cross, cross-dressing or drag um, and sort of like a lot of the controversy that's been coming up about that with like JK Rowling. We've talked about that in pre- previous episodes. Um, Which you I know, know how JK Rowling is, um, she had her um, remarks against um, trans people. Has she spoken against, um, um, or yeah, I guess spoken against drag queens specifically at all? I, I'm not. not... Not specifically, but like her most recent thing is she's been sharing this like online shop that has a lot of anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ um, merchandise. Um, hmm. She, with what purpose? Uh, like what? Like what? What is she? What? Why is she saying she's sharing it? She's sharing it because she wants people to buy the merchandise because it's like, um she's supporting the message that is behind it. Like, um, if I had it on me, but like, basically like there's one pin that says trans women are men. And that is a very disrespectful, incorrect remark, but that is something she is promoting and wanting people to buy. Wow. Um, and like, she, I, I haven't read anything specifically against the drag community. But um, a lot of times um, the drag community will get lumped in with the trans community. Right. I have many times had to explain the difference to someone between the difference between a trans woman and a drag queen. They can be one in the same thing. But um, meaning a trans trans person can do drag. Yes. And they can be one in the same. A trans person can do drag and someone who does drag can be trans. But they're not inherently the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like. A trans person, that is someone's like gender identity. Right. That's, Whereas yeah. a drag performer, that is um, a persona for performance. Yeah, we, yeah that's and- something we've tried to do in our previous series. Right before this, we did uh, a three-part series called Queer is History. And then this um, three-part series we're doing now is Whose Gender Is It Anyway? And we've tried our best to basically continually say the difference between your biological sex, your gender, and then gender expression. Oh, and when I first, when I first met a drag queen, um, before I knew I was gay, before I knew anything about the world, like I actually did not understand that difference. And even, even up until recently, like in, in looking up stuff for these episodes, like I still constantly, have had to keep reminding myself that those were different things. And, and so like, you know, like I've always been very accepting, but I know the first drag person I met, I just assumed that they were like, like that all the time, which is so ridiculous now because, because this one because the drag performer was 
very, very over the top with, with how they did their character. And it would have been extremely weird for them to, to dress like that. And, and probably just so daunting and expensive to dress like that, <laughs> you know, all the time. It was obviously a character. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, that, so it's, it's great that we're, I think that we're kind of hammering that home um, as much as we can, that, that it can be related and you can be both, but it's not the same thing at all. I definitely appreciate that. <laughs> when, in saying that, I'm just like, they get lumped together a lot. And though JK hasn't specifically put anything out about the drag, drag community that I know of, she may not have educated her enough herself enough to know the difference. Right. Um, she seems with a lot of uh, the remarks that she throws out about the trans community. It feels like she has not done much to educate herself on it at all and has made her stance and is holding to that stance, even though she has thousands and thousands of fans who are like, you inspired me to be myself, but now you're turning your back on me. Like, wow. hello, maybe you should think about the community that you like that your books like helped raise but uh she doesn't seem to want to take that into account and doesn't feel like like she's educating herself much i feel like it's kind of like roseanne like you just want them to like get off of twitter and stop stop using their like place of privilege to to spout out like a bunch of really prejudiced like terrible things you know they just should not be on twitter if they're going to be like saying these things but maybe we should share these episodes to her on Twitter and be like, hey, JK, take a listen. No, let's, t- let's tag it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I remember I remember you talking about that there's a lot of prejudice uh, within the queer community. And I've, and we've we've touched on that as well as in the last few episodes. Like, where do you think that prejudice comes from in the queer community? And wh- how, how do we solve that? Like, how do how do we kind of move to the next next step of like you know progressivism within the queer community to try to include and accept um and fight for trans people even if you are not yourself um the t in lgbtq well i like i have seen a lot of things back and forth on this um and i think for people who do not go through the trans experience, like the number one thing that you could do to help yourself is to educate yourself, not just go to one person and ask them all your questions, like actually do some research. Like a lot of us are tired of answering the same questions over and over again. And sometimes we just want to scream, Google it. (laughs) (laughs) Google it, and then we can have a conversation so I can make sure the information you got is accurate. That's what um, I storm. Do you know um, Zan? No, they, no, they don't know each other. Uh, so Different another, states. another one of uh, Curtis's uh, friends, Zan, who was uh, on uh, one of our previous episodes. They were like, "Yeah, you know, I'm always so willing to if someone asks. Like, I, I'd love to talk about it and share." But sometimes I just don't have the time. And I'm just like, just look it up on the internet. <laughs> and I think that's very fair. Yeah, but also we talk about this a lot with a lot of these types of things. It's not necessarily a marginalized community's responsibility to educate. People. Right. I don't get exactly. it. Like, I think that these conversations are so important. But yeah, like 
the internet is a really great thing. So go look it up yourself. It's like, that's exhausting for someone to constantly have to be teaching people. One of the main points of doing these two series for me on, on, on the, on the show um, was I wanted to make sure that there was some resource that somebody could get for free and easily in the podcast format that would kind of go from A to Z and give you, you know, the spark notes on the history and understanding of gender and and gender expression and just kind of like give that groundwork that I think a lot of us need before we go out and explore it ourselves or ask somebody else. You know, it's kind of like I feel like I'm hoping that that when you Google this in the future, you know, these episodes will come up at the top because because I, it's it we're doing our, our best to really just kind of like squeeze it in as much as we can, even though it's like a whatever are we at seven part series now? <laughs> you could do literally an entire podcast in its own on these topics. <laughs> we could, but and and I appreciate everybody that's hanging in there this whole time. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it, but I, I feel like throughout throughout the research and through what we've been able to to share that we definitely have given at least a primer to all of these subjects. So one of the things we didn't get a chance to talk to and talk about in the episodes um, is this really interesting um, feminist perspective um, of of uh, Christy A. Doherty Doherty um, who did a thesis um, on on the um, on on her experience getting into the 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 world of drag and and whether or not it was anti-feminist or pro-feminist and and just that perspective what she said um in in this thesis um was quote while femininity seems to be policed constantly i noticed that drag queens all have a different idea about performing feminine femininity uh, and what it means um and and what these performances look like uh, some seemed more subdued. Some seemed to be subversive of preconceived notions of stereotypical representations of femininity. Specifically, I found myself laughing at the hyperbolic standards of femininity that were being performed and felt grateful uh, that these impersonations of women seemed celebratory of subverting the norms associated with how women should act. Like, so, you know, Storm, what would you say to somebody that's a feminist that, that, you know, has never seen a drag show before, but thinks that it's, it, it is, you know, is making women look bad and is, and it is, and, you know, is, 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 uh, striking down all the, the, uh, efforts that have been made in the feminist movement. Well, the main thing is, is especially when you have a feminine drag performer, um, the whole, whole idea is poking holes in the idea of what femininity is supposed to be according to society like every drag performer is going to have um a different perspective of what femininity is and different perspective of slightly different perspective of how society thinks femininity should be and like those who choose to actively make fun of um, society's construct of femininity aren't trying to make fun of women. They're trying to make fun of society for how they treat women and how they are the boxes they're trying to put women into. And 
poke fun at that, but also kind of call out society for that, all while having fun with it and making people laugh. Would you say there's a certain sense of satire within drag? Oh, definitely. There's typically a lot of satire, um, a lot of things that have um, a different backstory to it that the audience may not even particularly ever know, but it's what's inspiring that drag performer to do the performance that they're doing. When somebody's trying to come up with their drag persona, how do you help them? How do you, what advice do you give to them to come up with that, that person that they're going to be playing and performing probably for possibly the rest of their lives? You know, what, where, where does that, how do you, how do you get somebody to, to, to basically have that dream like you had that where it comes to them naturally? Well, it doesn't always come to everyone naturally, but like, what I try to do is get people to think of their interests, their drive behind why they want to do drag, break it down and understand what they want to get out of drag and what they want to put out into it. And then kind of giving themselves the chance to grow and evolve. Like Sophia has grown and evolved from my original idea of her so much and I'm so happy for that because you try, you have one idea that you kind of want to go with, but it might not always work out how you want it to, or it might not be the best fit. Um, the main thing is that it is okay to take a little bit to like try things out. Like if you don't have the, if you don't have a profound dream like I did, there's nothing wrong with, across three or four different shows trying out different names seeing what fits what, what resonates right. with you yeah mm -hmm. and how is really... how has sophia changed um well um i i thought sophia was going to be a punk rock punk rock slut <laughs> um i you can look at early pictures i refused to smile <laughs> like I thought I was like gonna give off this like, like emo vibe. <laughs> kind of um like and then like I'm like it was a 2000 actually so. Sophia <laughs> is not a sexual creature at all that's why she needs to work with kids mm -hmm. <laughs> but also that like I enjoy being able to be bubbly and open and um I get to, like, I do do some of those harder punk rock songs, but a lot of songs I perform, like, are songs that people my age or younger can really identify with. Um, like Frozen? Yeah. Like, I, I, have, I have performed Frozen. Um, I have performed stuff from Frozen the Musical, which is pretty cool, mm. stuff that's not in the actual movie. Um, I do a, for Christmas, I do like a Lady Krampus number. And uh, that's great. There's a song I sing that's called Monster from Frozen the Musical. And she's like singing about how, like, maybe they're right. Maybe I am a monster. But like, as long as I'm alive and here to fix it, I'm going to do everything I can to prove yeah. that I'm not a monster. Um, um, I have performed music from the 
from the critically acclaimed Disney oh. rom-com Lemonade Mouth. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, love it. Um, I, I haven't it. heard of that. Yeah. It's it's the best it's the best Disney rom com ever made. So you need to go watch it. Well, I'm gonna have to say High School Musical is the best Disney rom com ever made, but that's fine. A high School Musical is too cliche. <laughs> <laughs> but if you love it, I no judgment. Lemonade <laughs> <laughs> mouth is fantastic. Like, and. My vanilla always jokes, no one's going to steal my music because I've got the music taste of a 13-year-old girl. <laughs> Teach their and own. I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I have no problem with that because I'm not interested in being like the sexual goddess. Like, I want to be out there inspiring people. And I'm like, you know what? A lot of 13-year-old girl music is inspiring. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I'm very here for it. <laughs> All right, y'all. Coming um, up, Chris, oh, we're uh, coming up short on time. Okay. Um, I've got one more question for you, Storm. But before I ask that, um, Curtis, Kara, did y'all have any more questions you wanted to ask Storm? No, this has been so great to listen to, Storm. Thank you so much for being on here and kind of being able to tell us more about this phenomenal world with people. I was telling uh, Dalen and Curtis earlier that. Every time I leave a drag show, I feel like a badass. And I'm like, I'm like, yes, everyone in there was so confident and amazing. So thanks for sharing that world a little bit with us. Yeah, I, I'm really glad. Thank you so much for having me on. I love jabbing about for drag. <laughs> my, my last question is, is what has been the biggest hurdle for you um, since, since becoming um, a drag performer? And what is it about drag that makes it worth it to get over that hurdle? One of my biggest hurdle is actually dealing with a lot of the older drag performers. Interesting. And unfortunately, in the queer community, some of the most bigoted people are white, straight gay men who think white, they straight get to own men? everything. Did I just say white, straight gay men? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, you totally did. <laughs> Um, maybe they're just confused cis white gay men cis white cis gay white men, gay is men. What I meant. yeah like there there is a lot of there's a lot of um older respected uh drag queens especially in our area uh that like believe very much that drag should only just be for boys um they don't even like the idea of drag kings they don't want anyone who even remotely identifies as female around um, they don't like it when people start to like do kind of an in-between, um, more of an androgynous character. And like they they don't they wanna keep things how they knew drag when they started right. and they they don't like the progression. And I've in order to do a lot of the things and help be able to create more of these safe spaces that anyone can feel comfortable doing drag, I have had to fight back against a lot of these people and I've gotten a lot of flashback for that. Um, but like at the end of the day, what makes it worth it is like actually creating these spaces for people. Like no matter how much someone tries to attack me, like if I can create a space that even if people can feel safe for even two hours, like honestly with drag shows, like, like in a, in this crazy world that we are in, like 
sometimes people just need two hours to be somewhere that they can feel safe, have fun, feel confident. And like, if I can, if I can bring that to anyone's life, like that is worth any, uh, any attack from any person. (laughs) (laughs) So last question for the show. Um, Say there's someone in the audience listening to this episode and they've wanted to try drag for a while or, you know, they live in a community where it's not really accepted or it's not really accessible for them or someone who's listened to this show and they, for the first time, have heard about drag and they think it's pretty cool. What would you say to that person that wants to try it and they just really haven't had the chance or don't know how to get into it? What do you tell them? I think um, good ways are to um, look up any local drag things that happen in the area. Um, You can look up the Imperial Court System. Uh, I was telling you about the ISCSM earlier. We are part of a bigger organization that had called the uh, Imperial Court System, which it has 70 chapters over the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Um, and you can go on the Imperial Court Systems website. You can find um, a drag court that's in your area. Most of them have Facebooks. Um, there's also usually email links on the website itself. And you can actually reach out to some of these drag organizations that are in your area and see if you can get connected that way. Um, Facebook and other things are wonderful tools. You can always jump in and there's Facebook groups all over the place for new performers that are helping each other, showing each other the new things. Um, and then, uh, like then you can, there's also, you can look up drag tutorials on, uh, YouTube and they'll give you lists of resources of things you want to get to get started. Um, the big thing is you don't actually have to spend a lot of money to get started. That's what holds a lot of people back is I think it's really expensive. You can, you can start with, I still buy some stuff from the drugstore sometimes. Like, <laughs> and you can get costumes, stuff from the thrift store. You don't have to buy the expensive products that they are out right away that they suggest in some of these YouTube videos, but you can still follow along and kind of understand what they're doing um and then the only other thing is if you like lots of people there's lots of drag profiles that are circulating around facebook a lot of time or instagram and you can find them and a lot of times if you find someone who looks like like you're probably not going to get a response from a rupaul queen but like (laughs) if you find like more of a local performer like 90% of the time, if you slip into their messages and tell them that you're really interested in doing drag, how do you start? Do you have any advice? Most of the time, you'll, you'll get a response. And if you don't get a response from one performer, don't try another it. one. You can try another one. <laughs> we're all over the place. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Storm, thank you so much for joining yeah, thank us. You, Storm. Um, yeah, yeah. Really fantastic hearing your stories. Um, is there anything you want to plug before you head out? Go look online and check out. Um, there's been drag races that are not run by RuPaul, but are associated that are happening all over the world. There's Canada, 
Um, there's a couple in the UK. Um, and then there's also another awesome show based in the States called Dragula. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those are a lot healthier um, outlets to go watch some uh, drag shows. Um, there's also another show on TLC called Dragnificent, where these four queens go around and help change people's lives. I'd go check that out. See what some actual people or actual performers are out there doing. All right. You heard it there, folks. Go check it out. Um, Storm, thank you again so much. Um, it was great talking to you. Yeah, it was great talking to you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Hey, Thanks, Storm. Storm. Bye. Bye, Storm. Bye. I have loved how many amazing people we've been able to talk to on these in the series. This has been I agree. I know it's it's really been, you know, starting with queer's history and into whose gender is it anyway. It's been a really fantastic experience. You know, we's I remember we um Curtis you presented this idea of these two series to me when we after we recorded an episode of uh The Young and the Political and we originally were like, yeah, it's going to be three episodes. It's <laughs> it's going to be quick and easy and here we are you know, seven, eight episodes later, and it's been really, really great. And it's not like we've repeated information. There's just so much important. There's so much to dig into, and these individuals have been able to give the voice, which is, you know, it's all great and fine for us to talk, but to hear from the source, to hear from these incredible people, has been amazing. Yeah, I agree. I, I I think when I originally was pitching it, I think I thought of it like what we were gonna, what we did with the other ones, with like two episodes, you know, kind of like information, an episode, interview, next episode. And and Dalen, you were the first one to say, let's do three, do a three parter. I remember thinking, yeah, we could probably fill three parts. <laughs> we could we could probably <laughs> stretch the information a little bit. And then when we're actually recording, I'm like, okay, here we go. We, we got one more page. We got to get there. Come on. <laughs> I mean, here we are. You know, each episode's been at least two hours long, you know, and there's just so yeah. much to talk about. It's crazy. Yeah. But it's it's really been fun. Um, for those of you listening, uh, thanks for sticking around. Obviously, Queer as History and Whose Gender is It Anyway have been really long series, but we Hope you enjoy them. We hope you learned something along the way. We definitely have learned a lot, um, but it's been great. Uh, moving forward, uh, in the next episode, we're going to be diving into some more political stuff. We're going to be talking about voting. We're going to be talking about the Electoral College. And we're going to be talking about gerrymandering. It's going to be uh, very on point for the election coming up. There's some important things happening. Uh, which I guess dates this episode. Um, but in general, it's important to know about voting for and gerrymandering. Yeah. It, an election happens every, or a presidential election is every four years. Listen back, you know, in, in the next election if you need to. <laughs> but uh, Curtis, Kara, any final thoughts, anything y'all want to plug before we sign off? Yeah, let's, uh, so, you know, let's plug uh, Storm's um, drag performer um uh, page um it's on f- uh, facebook if you look up sophia stone um it's it, it comes up right away um it's a fantastic resource and and really and you can you can see exactly um you know what storm does um on stage and everything and 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 all the other outreach that's uh, that storm does in character um, um as sophia it's some amazing work mm-hmm. um that that they do and the um, link- and then also- 
The link is also at the near the bottom of the show notes for today's episode. Yeah, and I added that. And then also I wanted to to put a a special like shout out to um to the libraries because you know, I like you know, we do a ton of research for these shows and and it would be so much more expensive and so much more difficult to do that uh without um the libraries and the and the way that they let you borrow digital books um through yeah. such services as overdrive and cloud library so i just wanted to do a shout out to the nation's libraries uh specifically the best library in the country montana's library and uh and also um i have less experience with it but also some really amazing libraries in texas and in south carolina texas. <laughs> Kara, what are your final thoughts anything you want to plug yeah, well, I was going to say first, Curtis, can you spell out for us um, the spelling of Sophia Stone? How did you yeah, it's it's S-O-P-H-I-A and then Stone, S-T-O-N-E. Perfect. Um, I cannot wait to go look that up as soon as we get off of this. <laughs> Not much so much fun stuff on there. Yeah, I bet. I'm so excited. I really hope I can watch a cover of Frozen because I'm a big Yes. <laughs> I know what I'm doing tonight. Um, <laughs> not much. Thanks for coming along with us on that journey. Shout out again to everyone who interviewed with us, chatted with us, was patient with us asking questions, and make sure you're registered to vote. Perfect. And with that, uh, we'll be signing off. We'll talk to y'all next time when it comes to voting. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Social Discord, part of the Podcast Without Borders Network. You can get a hold of us by sending us an email at pwbnetwork at gmail.com. You can also check out our website at podcastwithoutborders.com. Thanks for listening.